You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is a very special episode. I'm in Eretz Yisrael, Baruch Hashem, and we are in the second day of the war. Nobody could believe that on Shmini Atzeret in Chostorah, that Eretz Yisrael was under attack by Iran uh, by of enemies using all different ways to come in from Gaza. And I'm here in one of the cities that was under attack, as many, many cities were. I'm here in Giryat Gat, a wonderful city, and especially the suburb called Karmei Gat, where my son resides. And I'm staying with a family that is intimately affected by the situation. First of all, I, I want to just share my own observations that if the idea of terrorizing is to create a sense of fear and inability to to process, an ability to, to move forward, an ability to go on with life and to be so paralyzed, our enemies are extremely, extremely mistaken. This is a country that yes. we've heard about it, but now I see it. The resolve is iron. The idea that we are in terror, that we are somehow unable to deal with things, it's the exact opposite. The determination of every single person I've seen is strong and possible to move. So they have lost already, if this is what their purpose is. But the the slaughter, the attacking, the random terribleness of what went on yesterday, it's hard to imagine. I know our friends in the West are going to talk about de-escalation. First needs to be understood is that this was a an attack that was vicious and terrible. I saw this morning some BBC journalist wanted to compare the Gaza attacks as if it was somehow similar to the Warsaw Ghetto uprising. The type, these types of abominable, abominable statements, they, they need to be condemned. Country that we are in, in Eretz Israel, there is no desire to, to put genocide upon its neighbors. They want to live in peace. In fact, so many of, of the Muslim and Arab community work within the city, even I'm at here at Kirigat and around the country. But I want to make it a little bit personal here. I'm here with Michal and Agaman Fisher, who I've come to recognize as being one of the special people. And who's not here is their husband, Dan, who's been called up. And Michal, um, so why don't you say a little bit of what it was like yesterday when, when the alarms went off? What was, some of the, what, was, what was going through your mind? Um, I was about lucky because I was actually awake when the alarm started sounding. I think there were 24 in total, but I felt very lucky that I was awake and I heard them because we have a baby who sleeps in our room and we have this white noise machine that stays on all night, so I could have missed it. Right away, grabbed, went to Al-Gaman's room and told her to wake up. Went and grabbed the other two girls. Dan grabbed Zohar, who's our little one, and we went into the room with the two boys who sleep in the Ramad, in this in the safe room. In the beginning, it definitely seemed like okay, another round, big deal. We go through this every year, you know, we'll get through this. We have the Iron Dome, everything's going to be okay. But Dan, you know, is very careful to turn on his phone when these things happen, even if it's on Shabbat or Chag. 
because you never know. And then we saw that this wasn't the case, that this is something far, far more serious. He got called up for, for reserves along with eight of 10 of our closest friends, all my brothers and all of his. Um, so they're all currently um, either in the south or in the north. And Michal, you know, I was here with a number of the other women today, and um, those husbands have been called up. You're obviously very, very concerned, and you're praying for them. But um, there's no terror in you, is there? I mean, you understand that this is what this is this is what it means to live in Eretz Yisrael and to yeah. and to be part of the country. Yeah, we got married when when Dan was just a soldier in the army. He was. He had just turned 20 when we got married, and so he spent another two years in the army while we were married, and so it's always been, you know, sort of always been ready for this situation. Agaman is here, too. Agaman is is the fisher's oldest, and she was uh, just willing to talk to us a little bit. Agaman, how do you feel about about, about your dad going up? I was terrified at first when I heard that my dad was going, because... Before that happened, we were used to having sirens and needing to go into the safe room. And then... In other words, you've had... Kiryat Gat is not that far from Gaza. I mean, so you've had rockets before coming towards Kiryat Gat. Yeah, so around a year and a half ago, we've had a situation where for a few days, all they were doing was shooting rockets. We only got two alarms for the rockets. And now we got into a situation where every few minutes we have to go into the safe room. But I wasn't very scared, really scared, because we went into the safe room. But then when they called my dad off, it felt much more personal. It felt like a real attack on my Your family, family and my life. And that terrified me. Sure. We have to realize that... Uh... Unlike the United States, which has a volunteer army, it's expected every able-bodied young man serve and also continue, as you heard your mom say, you know, until the age of 40 to be ready, especially in times of war. I mean, the country is extremely independent in many ways, is able to do much, but the interdependence that we have, the fact that we need every single person. And we need, uh, and especially at these times, time when, when the whole country is under attack. So, Argaman, you're 15. Do you see, do you see yourself also serving eventually? Yes. Right. Um, and that's going to be in, that's going to be about three years. Yeah. A little less than three years. Right. Hopefully. This makes you think a little bit about that too, right? Yeah. My goal is to serve in a cyber, in the cyber unit. In terms of uh, cybersecurity. Yeah. So that's, that's my goal. But yeah, it really hearing from friends about their siblings that are going to the army now and are called up for war, it kind of gets you thinking more about what going to the army and serving their country really means. Now, one of the things that, you know, we in, in, in America don't necessarily walk around in fear of is that America, of course, is a big melting pot of all different types of people. If I walk down the street and I pass a mosque or I walk down the street and I pass an imam or a group of Muslim people praying or whatever it is, it doesn't necessarily inspire in me any sort of worry and fear. 
you're old enough to know that the head of the Hamas called for Muslims all over the world to take part in this. Does this do something for you? Does this make it more difficult? Because I know throughout Kiryat Gat and throughout all the cities near Israel, there's many um, Israeli Arabs. Does that make does it make it difficult for you these type of situations to now deal with them? So I try not to because I have a lot of friends that don't make a difference between terrorists and Arabs. I personally got to know a bunch of Arabs throughout my life that were very nice and very kind and weren't any threat. But I think this is a very similar situation to what happened almost exactly 50 years ago, in a way, in Wilhelmit Yom Kippur. But it makes me happier to think about the fact that now we have a much stronger army and we are much more prepared to handle these type of situations. So I, I like I have faith and I don't think it will affect I it probably will affect the way I treat people, but I try not to. Yeah, again, I, I I'm gonna say it uh directly for our listeners. As far as I, I the last time I checked my uh my internet sources, I did not see a condemnation being issued from the Muslim countries uh on a, an attack really that is unprovoked on, on innocence. I'm here in Kiryat Gat. It's no secret. Anybody wants to do their research, a few blocks from where I'm sitting here outside with Argaman, there is a wonderful Rav who um, I'm very friendly with. <laughs> I give Shiurim in his Beit Knesset. And as you know, the top of his home was hit. Yeah. Indiscriminately. They didn't know. Okay, they'll say, we don't know who we were shooting at. It doesn't make it any better. It makes it worse. As we know in halacha, if you, you're a murderer, no matter what. And it's difficult and hard to have tolerance when, where are the voices of condemnation from the other Arab countries? The Arab Israelis who have jobs here as pharmacists, as gas station attendants, who work here, who, who are able to support their family here, we're able to use the Magen Devar and the Kupat Cholim. We're able to get all the benefits. They are living a lot better here in Kiryagat than they are in Gaza. What we would, I think, really want is a, is a declaration of condemnation and saying we're not with them. And I think until that happens, unfortunately, there's a sense, I think, Argaman, of suspicion. Why aren't you there supporting me? And I think this is, makes it so hard. It's very easy in the United States to sort of, you know, hold hands and say kumbaya, despite the differences between Republicans and Democrats. It's much difference when there is a call along religious lines to attack us. You know, it is, is very, very hard. But I know that one of the things that um, is a result of this terrorist situation is that you, you thought you were going back to school, and now you're not. And let's try to explain why the country, I think, realizes that the less crowded accumulation of people in one place, the better. We don't know what are the intelligence um, capabilities of the enemy. And therefore, they are trying to make sure that if there are meetings of people, they are on a small side. And that's the reason why they want schools. And I think probably even if there wouldn't be, I think many of the parents would just be scared to be sending their children out. So 
what are you going to do in terms of uh, do, do you think there's going to be some discussion of, of online schooling going on? I hope not. You hope not. It didn't work too well during COVID, did it? No, not at it, all. It was a disaster. It it was horrible that this happened on Zinkato Lab, but I'm I'm glad that this happened on a day where no one's at school and no one can be at school because most of the schools don't have a proper a proper system. They don't have safe rooms in most they don't? schools. And most school wow. in my school they tell us to sit next to a wall. And that's all we do. So in a way it was a little positive that, that was, this happened on a day where there was no school. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it was clear to me, and I'm not an Israeli or a defense expert, that this was in order to align itself with the last terrible attack where we were caught unaware, uh, the 1973 Kippur War, which I remember very distinctly. I was in Yeshiva then. I mean, I remember coming out of uh, Tfilot, and everybody was greeting me saying, there's war in Eretz Yisrael. And one of the things that the lessons that many people thought out of Melchemed Yom Kippurim was that there was hubris. There was a sense of strength and victory we got from 1967 that supposedly 73 took out of us that we didn't necessarily think we were, we were so great anymore. And maybe, you know, perhaps this is another lesson. Just talking here, yeah. uh, uh, Michal has joined us. So Michal, um, uh, what's your sense of how you're going to manage without sending the kids to school? What do you think you're going to be doing? So I, I work in a full-time job plus, and I work partially from home, but partially from Tel Aviv. I also travel. I was supposed to be in Vegas this week for a healthcare conference. So this is a bit of a difference. So for me, spending time at home with the kids is always very, very special and very nice. So, so it's a little bit of a, a terrible silver lining. Yes. I so, enjoyed COVID as well, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> but but, it, but uh, honestly, I'm uh, horrified and worried. And you know, I, I think one of the things that um, you know, we talk about not having large gatherings, you know, part of, you know, the, sometimes the rabbinic and the Torah responses to everybody should be mitvaleo biyachad and blow the shofar, which is something I guess because they don't want large gatherings is going to happen. Did the community call for your for some tefillot? Has there been anything on WhatsApp? Yeah, on WhatsApp. Yeah. So what what are they sure. what are they doing? Um, they have Zooms and they just have WhatsApp links for people to to be just, Yeah, just send the number of whatever. You and you. We'll put joining together, everybody's saying Tilium together, or is there a? Um, there was a Zoom with the rabbi. I don't know how many people are doing together. Tilium, yeah. I guess everyone, in this community specifically, I think everyone is with little kids around, so it's probably it's hard. hard to get to, to get quiet. There was something. There was something though going on in social media where you read at last night at eleven. Yeah, the, everyone from their own homes without gathering or anything, just read the same, same daily. together. Yeah. Together. Yeah. That was um, something that everybody should on social every, media. Yeah. Again, obviously, you know, there's a reason we're all here. We're here because this is the land that Akkadosh Baruch Hu promised to us. This is our land. And we all believe whatever our states of Shmir Tamitzvot or Diktuka Mitzvot, we all have the same amuna that Bore Olam is connected to us. And this is the land that he connects 
to us through and obviously appealing to him. I have to say that um, there might be a message. And again, I'm not a Rebbe or a Tzaddik or anybody to say. But when I think about it, I think, you know, Shemini Atzeret, which has turned into Simchat Torah for you, is according to our tradition from the Rabbanan, Rabbanan, is a way to be with God only. It's like it's a single day where God wants to sort of have a love day with us. The days of Sukkot are days where there's so many korbanot, there's so much going on, that there's an aspect of everybody in the whole world can somehow benefit. Shemini Atzeret was meant to be the Jewish people's day alone. And it's interesting that that day, which is supposedly symbolic of the of the purity of our relationship, that is so loving, that doesn't need a sukkah, doesn't need any mitzvot, it's just God and us together. Uh, it doesn't commemorate like Shavuot, Matan Torah, but it's rather just a day to say, I, I love you so much. I, as the Medrash says, I can't stand not being with you. <laughs> Don't go away. One more day, please, please. Like that last hug at the airport. That's what Shemini Atzeret is. But I think to me, that's something. This was supposed to be the day for us. And I think there's some message that we have to work on ourselves. Clearly, the day that was supposed to be the love day, the day that was supposed to be the ultimate day of love is a day that God allowed attacks to happen. I think we all have to somehow make a big cheshpan on nefesh. I don't know what it is, what the tikkun is. I can tell you, however, my friends, that seeing the emunah, the achnasat arachim of the fishers, seeing the the emunah and the simchat achayim that I see in the street, the seriousness, but understanding. You know, I think we have the seeds of what to work on. I think perhaps if we, we don't need to perhaps need a great oracle to tell us what it is that we're missing. But um, obviously part of it is, is, is you know, the avat chinam that we need. Perhaps there's other things we need to be macabre on ourselves for God to really allow us to, to bask in his love. Right now, we need God to help us as a protector, as a fighter, to give our generals, to give our commanders the right hadracha, the right etzah. We're all being mispal, and I think I think this is not a time to start pointing fingers and blaming people. I think all of that is just gorim more kina, more tacharut, more sinat, from the bonus shalom. We know that, uh, you know, he's given us this incredible of having this country. You know, I went, I saw Mashal, my son showed me over, over Shabbat. You know, sometimes you have a, a child who, unfortunately, say gets burnt or gets hurt and this has to be taken to the emergency room and as unfortunately scarred. So the parents will spoil that child yeah. afterwards and do almost everything for that child. I think we, although it hasn't, to you, Argaman, it's like a whole different world. But, you know, the Jewish people are almost wiped out. At least a third of them are almost wiped out and were. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, since 1948, since Tav has given us so much brachot, just like that child who's been spoiled, a country, an army, it's Chonot. So I think we what we want to realize HaKadosh Baruch Hu to murder Achamim. I think people who hear your story, to hear your story, Michal, the mom, and Agaman, the daughter, to see how well you've raised her, how how proud I know you are of her, and we all are of you. 
of what this country can produce. I'll just sign off with this, my friends. My first night here, totally jet lag and completely exhausted. I woke the next morning, you know, look, walking the streets with my Dalad Minim, looking for a Mokum Tfila. I wasn't, wasn't successful because I was going the wrong way. But I saw a community of people arriving with their love of Metrokin, a place that's Kiryat Gat, which is almost almost desert like yeah. in its in its geography, full of homes, full of Jewish people, full of the Bene Israel, full of Sukkot. And as I went into the Sukkah at the Fisher's Sukkah, which became my place of Tfilah that morning, and I as I said in the Haleo, I was trying to channel David Amelach and saying, What would David Amelach have said if you could see? Yes, this, this, in, in God's eyes, 75 years is nothing. This yom is niflot beinenu. Bakarta told we have to have what the Rabbanu Shalom has done for us, and that we have this Medina, that we have this chut of living here. I think all that is perhaps a little bit of what we need to have and to feel towards each other, and perhaps to be mitbaleo, of course, for, for Dan come back safely and for all the parents to come back into the loving arms of their family. Well, hopefully as we, I'm here for the long run, so we'll see how, not here by the Fishers, but I'll be here. So hopefully my friends here on our on our platform we're going to be uh, sending you some real live, unfiltered <laughs> and without any axe to grinds reports about what it's like here living in a country under war. We'll catch you next time, hopefully soon. Be well, everyone. Thank you so much, Agaman and Michal. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.